0: Okay, this is another Ross Growth episode, and I'm your host, Sergey Ross. Today I had a pleasure of speaking to Adam Lacombe on my show. Adam is a director of demand generation at a company called CrowdRoof. If you haven't heard, CrowdRoof is an AI powered visual content marketing platform that is built for travel and tourism. They got a really cool product, so you should definitely check it out. Uh, I will have a link in the show notes. Adam's got an excellent personal blog on Medium about mindset, psychology, his personal experiences. You should definitely, guys, check it out. There are some golden nuggets there about building habits and consistency. Uh, I will link it in the show notes. Adam has been in leadership roles in the last three tech companies he worked for. And today we briefly touch in marketing in our conversation, but most of it is about mindset. It's about success. It's about building habits and consistency, the things that are really fundamental baseline for any successful person and before you go I'd love to hear how you like this conversation show so in show notes you'll have a link to my LinkedIn profile you can go on it just drop me a message and I would I would appreciate that so without further ado here's Adam right. Versus like okay now we're doing an interview right it's just more casual I stole it from Dave Gerhardt. I feel like it's just better yeah Um, So, Adam, thanks a lot for being here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So, I don't want to spend too much time on marketing uh, in this conversation, but I do want to start with it because you are a leading marketing team here at CrowdRef. What's the difference between a good marketer and somebody who makes history like Seth Godin, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you know, before we jumped on the recording, we were talking about consistency. And I think that consistency is is really key in, you know, becoming a, a phenomenal marketer. And, um, you know, I get to work with, uh, you know, a lot of really phenomenal marketers here. My uh, VP of marketing, Amrita Gurney, is a huge influence for me. And I think that she really demonstrates what kind of like differentiates a uh, an okay marketer from a really phenomenal marketer and that's like dedication consistency um and just like the willingness to try new things uh to adapt to consistently learn like i think that anyone who isn't learning in in marketing and digital marketing specifically is dying yeah
0: yeah it is so true uh as with anything and speaking of that there was a line that i came across uh, on your medium. Uh, In the world that is changing, the biggest risk is not taking risks. How do you see that and how have you applied that in your life? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I can
1: go back to, you know, leaving a stable job to join the first startup that I joined, which was leaving Pivotal Software, um, which is a pretty monolithic uh, technology company um, in North America and now worldwide, uh, to join the founding team at, at tribal scale. And that was really where I started my marketing career as well. So I mm-hmm. think that that was, you know, a really great example of, uh, when I got an opportunity to take a risk, I think that a lot of people also don't necessarily always get those opportunities. They don't kind of kick down their door. Um, you need to go out looking for those risks, but, um, yeah, that, you know, was a huge risk. I, I remember emailing my mom and saying, like, hey, mom, I've got the opportunity to go and work with these guys. They're leaving Pivotal to go start this company called Tribal Scale. And uh, it's going to be a software development company focused on, you know, IoT and mobile development. Um, But, you know, none of these guys have ever done this before. And she was like, but you've got this great job. You know, I was in sales ops at at Pivotal at the time. And I was like, Uh, I just you know it was just something I had to do for myself and obviously it's worked out really well for me because it it definitely uh, I owe a lot to those guys uh, at tribal scale and it was definitely you know um, kind of the beginning
0: of the hockey stick growth for for me in my marketing career. What was the thinking process you went through when you evaluated the opportunity because there's a ton of people that will not leave uh, a Mm -hmm. safe job? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean at the time I was really fortunate to be like at a time in my life and age where I didn't have a ton of um, responsibilities I you know didn't have kids I didn't have a mortgage at the time so I think I was really fortunate to you know for it to align um, with just like being at the right point in my life Um, so I really didn't put too much thought into it honestly like David Wright uh, who was you know the COO and one of the the co-founders of Tribal Scale is now a really good friend of mine but at that time was like a relative stranger to me and he approached me I knew him basically just through work, through the work that I had done with him as a sales ops associate uh, who was like dedicated to his territory. And I just knew the caliber of, you know, his mind and, and what he was capable of. And I kind of extrapolated that and thought that, you know, he wouldn't uh, partner up with other founders who weren't capable of the same things. And that, that proved true.
0: Yeah, it's a great, great indicator. What was the moment when you decided to study successful people and the psychology of success because you spend a lot of time doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that I've always been interested in successful people and more so um, unique people. I think that, you know, like success is definitely one factor, but um, you know, if I think back to grade four or five, it would have been maybe even earlier um, I was, I, I was given the opportunity to, uh, <laughs> to do a, uh, oral speaking competition in French. I yeah. like, I have French background, my family's French. And, um, and so I got the opportunity to, to do this speaking competition mm-hmm. and I chose to do it on, on Houdini. Um, and that was just like. I could have spoke about anything but I found Houdini like super interesting obviously you know very successful, unique uh, charismatic and the rest and I would say that since then um, you know that was probably the first time I got to dive really deep into someone's career and what made them unique and since then I've tried to take as much as possible from the learnings of others because it's much easier to do that than to have those same learnings yourself
0: Who was uh, the most impressive? Uh, I'm sure you went through a Bunch of folks. There's a lot of them. Uh, some some are old, but some are like as you mentioned. One uh, some are folks who are still around. Mm-hmm. Was there somebody who was uh, who stood out? Hmm.
1: It's a good question. Um. Yeah, I guess it depends from what like perspective. Uh, I read um, Marilyn Manson's autobiography, and that kind of stands out in my mind. I read that <clears throat> probably in like. 2010 somewhere between Mm -hmm. 2010 and 2012 and um that was definitely an eye-opener because like you get to delve into the mind of this person who's like super creative super unique and who also has like a really um obscure like persona that uh, that like um he's kind of perpetuated through his music and art and things like that and um Yeah. So that was like a super interesting one. And I think that that gave me a lot of insight into how you can like position yourself, you know, as uh, I mean, that's a lot of marketing that he's done to position himself that way.
0: Oh, 100 percent. It's like uh, probably like I haven't read his biography, but it's probably like Steve Jobs, where he's Steve is very much misunderstood by most people Mm -hmm. of what the type of person he was, uh, because if he really was the type of person, uh, he would never been able to assemble the team and more importantly, keep those people around uh, for that long
1: yeah exactly um yeah and and just be like iconic um through like multiple generations as well right um
0: yeah yeah, totally there was a a line i believe you highlighted it on medium i thought it was amazing tab hunter american actor he said "Uh, i don't care whether people like me or dislike me i'm not on earth to win a popularity contest Mm -hmm. i'm here to be the best human being i possibly can be Talk to me about the importance of that, uh, of that attitude. Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but I'm sure that there's people out there that dislike me, and I'm sure that there's you know people out there that like me, and people everywhere in between. Um, but the reality is that we only get one shot at this life, as far as we know, and uh, you can't really like make the decisions that you make in your life based on. Um, your concern of how other people perceive you because that's so subjective. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like comes back to, to feedback as well. Like I would, you know, I would caution people on like how they receive feedback and what they do with feedback because, um, you know, my boss and I were co reading this book. Uh, mm-hmm. we were reading this book together this, this year and it talked a lot about feedback and how subjective feedback is. Um, And I think that, you know, people oftentimes take feedback from others a little bit too literally, and they um, allow it to, uh, like, direct the next stage of their life, direct their um, decisions and things like that, and... um, yeah, I, I don't think that. I think that you need to take it with a grain of salt, and you need to put feedback into context. Who's it coming from? Do you respect that person? Did you want their feedback in the first place, and and things like that?
0: It Makes a big difference, is not it? Like especially choosing what to do next, and 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 whether to go in your career or in in their, th- those people's careers. Do is that coming from like what, what How would they? How would people improve that? Understanding or like being able to filter that feedback properly? Is that uh, knowing what the, the right mindset is or is it having specific role models and then learning from them?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I can only really answer that from like my personal experience, mm-hmm. but I think that it really does come down to um, like having a set of values. So like if you have a set of values that guide Um, your life, then you're much more likely to keep feedback and your actions and everything else in context. Um, If you just kind of make every decision um, independently of other decisions that you make in your life, including like which feedback you take and the actions that you kind of pursue after receiving that feedback, I feel like you're, you're not going to have like a, a kind of thread to tie all of those decisions together. So like personally, um, I look at the, the feedback in the context of the values that I try to live by. 100%.
0: I, I really love this line and you, I'm sure you've heard it. Many people heard it from Will Smith. It's just so good. You might be more talented than me. You might be smarter than me. You might be sexier than me. But if, if we get on the treadmill together, there's two things. You're getting up first or I'm going to die. <laughs> and how do you instill this mindset in yourself and and how would people can do that with, with them, with themselves? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I...
1: I'm not going to disagree with Will Smith because obviously Will Smith is far more successful in his own right than probably I will ever be. But, um, I think that you also have to ask yourself whether you want to be running on that treadmill in the first place. Right. Uh, right. I think that a lot of people see challenges as, um, like an opportunity to prove themselves. And sometimes some challenges aren't worth fighting for. Um, so I would caution folks about that, but, um, but yeah, I think that if you're passionate about something, uh, that's the only way to to kind of set yourself
0: apart in this world now is to work harder than the next person. We'll go back to the values question, isn't it? Like determining, do you want to be on the, in this thing in the first place? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. Like, um, is this challenge worth the energy that it's going to take to like prove your your value, essentially? Right.
0: Right. Or is it? Uh opinions of people or, or proven other people that, oh, I actually can without actually having something in in yourself that uh, you need that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes back to um, the quote that you brought up and like, just kind of like aligning yourself with how people think about you and things like that. Um, Like you have to ask yourself whether proving yourself to someone else is worth the energy that it takes to do so, right? We've all got Uh, limited energy to and limited time to dedicate to things Um, you should really be considering whether you want to spend your time and energy on those specific things is running on that treadmill against that person uh, the thing that's worth your your limited
0: resources in this life what do you think about opinion of other people like for example gary Vaynerchuk famously all Always says like mm-hmm. don't 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 care about any, what any anybody thinks, but a lot of his opinions are pretty extreme as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, and probably shouldn't be necessarily followed literally. Yeah, um, his treadmill is pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: What do I think about Gary V? <laughs> or what do I think about that? Uh, his pers- his perspective on. Um...
0: Yeah, you could well it or you could just say. A, opinions of other people should you care a lot about them should you not care where do you find the balance that sort of thing
1: yeah care about the opinions of the people that you value right like if you value someone if my wife tells me something the weight of what she tells me is going to like carry much more heavily in my mind than that of someone that i don't value um and i mean i think that you know we also need to consider a ton of other factors like diversity of opinion and things like that when we consider whose uh, opinions we take lightly and whose we don't. But um, I think that that falls back to like having a set of values, right? If uh, if someone doesn't mean right by you, then should you be valuing their opinion in the first place? Uh, probably not. So yeah, I think that as you said, Gary V is an extremist and he'll probably say like... You know, even if your mom tells you that you're wrong, yes. you shouldn't listen to her. Just like That's keep pushing forward and believe in your like intrinsic ability to do anything. But, um, but no, I think that you should definitely uh, value the opinions of the people that are, you hold dearest. For right?
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a hard one to filter out the the wrong people from the right people and define them in the first place. I wanna talk about abundance mentality versus scarcity because it's sure. such a imp- super important thing. Yeah. You know, people, whatever they're doing, they're trying to find a job, they're trying to make more money, they're trying to start a podcast. There's always this uh, this uh, th- picture they in their mind that, mm-hmm. oh, like the, everybody's already doing it so well, like why there's no there's no space for me. Totally. Um, how should they look at that abundance versus scarcity? How, why is scarcity is dangerous? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have no idea
1: where I heard this from, so uh, apologies to the creator of this, but um, I think what's stuck in my mind for a long time is the idea of the pie, right? People with scarcity mentalities often think that there's one pie and mm-hmm. that they need to get their piece of the pie, and you hear that often, right? People yeah. feeling like they need to get their piece of the pie, that they need to um, access like their whatever they're owed of these like you know scarce resources um and the reality is in the mindset that that i live by and that mm-hmm. others with abundance mentality live by is that there's an infinite infinite number of pies right that you can just create another pie it's it's kind of like the blue ocean strategy you can create something new um you there's always opportunity to kind of like create a new pie um and have access to unlimited resources and you know i don't mean that in like the physical or environmental resource capacity but rather in like you know your own energy tapping into the energy of (coughs) excuse me the energy of um you know like the greater being or the universe or you know whatever um you know theist belief you have yeah um yeah i think that if you have you know if you have the right mindset you can access really um unimaginable things but
0: it's a lot of it comes from uh limited beliefs limiting beliefs that are probably uh, being formulated by the environment friends parents uh, relatives where people think oh there's this just fine amount of acts," or uh which is a usual topic for people, not so much in Canada, but I mean, for some people too, um, lack of money, right? Yeah. The po- poverty and Absolutely. like that, that, this perception when somebody starts talking about money, there's this, oh, we never have enough. There's there, you gotta do something, yeah. and that is instilled over decades, uh, and that will be a big part of uh, that scarcity thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's an important thing to note, that I'm speaking from like a perspective of a lot of privilege, for sure, in, you know, multiple ways. Um, And I can't speak to the experiences of other people, but from my experience, um, you know, as a privileged person in this society, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to access uh, infinite resources.
0: I want to talk about uh, imposter syndrome and this one is, happens probably to all of us sure. uh, I know like to me like this internal dialogue sometimes I would say I would feel like oh I'm, I'm not delivering enough value I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of these types of things and we always have that voice and there's always it's hard sometimes to silence that um, how do you approach that and how do you think people should um, try to dial that down or change that yeah, yeah for sure
1: Um, I think that, you know, from my perspective, one thing that's worked really well for me is like approaching things with curiosity. Um, And so oftentimes if I feel like I don't have the answer to something or I feel like I don't have enough to contribute uh, to be, to have like a valued opinion at the table, um, I'll approach a problem or um, an issue with curiosity, so I'll ask a lot of questions. Um, I'll try to bring the right people to the table um, to get those questions answered, um, and also just to like add other tools to my tool belt, right? Because um, I am under no illusion that I know everything, and so oftentimes it's just about like being humble um, and approaching problems with with uh, curiosity,
0: knowing what you don't know, right?
1: Totally. Yeah. And Self-aware, also sometimes, part. yeah. And also sometimes just like, um, recognizing that you don't know even some things that you do know. Right. So for instance, uh, you know, you're asking me a lot of questions from, uh, things that I wrote several years ago. Now. <laughs> a long time ago. I know yeah. it's, it's hard. So we got to know, but, but you know, sometimes you'll, you'll come into situations in life or in your career where, um, you may think you know something and even then you should approach it with curiosity because someone might know it better than you do. I'm surprised every day at work when I ask questions to my employees, um, that I think I know the answer to and they come up with a better answer than I ever would. Um, hmm. you know, I'm surprised every day by that and it's like one of the best things about being a manager.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting how to be in uh, just an executor versus, uh, know, just managing people, uh, very different experience. I'm sure you, you could relate to that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I often talk about like being a manager is like being able to, um, like multiply your contribution to something. Right. So I, I think about the fact I've got, you know, content folks that work for me, I've got events, people that work for me, I've got like demand gen people that work for me, marketing automation people. And, um, I often think about the fact that I could contribute like maybe half of what my events person contributes because events isn't my domain of expertise. I could contribute a quarter of what my content person Mm. does and a tenth of what my demand gen person does. Um, But like as a manager you get to leverage their skills and their like expertise, um, remove roadblocks and allow them to reach their full potential and then that four five six x's my output with four people rather than contributing like two x of what i could if i were to like replicate myself and put the put myself in those positions when
0: you and this is a this is a great point and when you transitioned from executing to to managing people Mm -hmm. i know a lot of people feel anxiety of like i know how it's supposed to be done even though I'm supposed to not do it, I'm just going to do it for now. And they have this anxiety of actually letting people or giving their people autonomy to actually do things. How was it for you?
1: Yeah, I think that happens to every new manager. I think that every new manager um, decides to do something themselves rather than teach someone else how to do it because in the short term, you know, they feel like it's going to take them less time to just do it themselves rather than to delegate. Um, And I would say that still happens to me for sure. Um, but it's just about reminding yourself over and over again. And when you do have those epiphanies where you ask for someone's help or you delegate, and then they do a better job than you ever would have, or they do it more quickly, or whatever, um, you just kind of have these realizations over and over again that everyone is, you know, smarter than you, and that, um, and that you should really put more trust in, in folks. Um, mm. And I would say that I've worked for you know um, in a management role for three different companies now, and I would say that. Um, hiring is one of the most important parts of management because if you hire the right people, you get to just spend the rest of your time making sure that they're optimized just like removing barriers so that they can do their best work um and i've worked in other companies with more lax hiring processes or with you know more urgency to hire than we do at crowd Um and CrowdRiff has a super robust hiring practice mm. um and I, I would say that that is like one of the most important lessons that i've learned is is like if you hire the right people it makes your job so much easier
0: what do you think um people like what are some of the key things that you look for in a person that you hire mm-hmm. um
1: i mean so here we have some really uh, here at crowd we have some really um kind of concrete values that we try to live by and um and i would say that what i look for in hires is what i experienced from my interviewers when I first came into CrowdRiff, and that was, I experienced a lot of kindness, a lot of humility, um, a lot of curiosity, um, as well as, um, how can I put this, like, they, they uh, put a lot of responsibility in my hands, yeah. I guess, and so I really look for the same when I'm hiring, I look for, um, you know, people who are humble, people who are kind, people who will um, take on responsibility, and who are ownership? Yeah, who are willing to take on ownership? Exactly.
0: Just going back to do um, management. Have you heard of Jack O'Willink who wrote uh, this book, Extreme Ownership? Yes. Have you read it? I haven't. No. It's. Uh, I think you would uh, like it a, a lot. There's so many good lessons on lead in and 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 uh, what you, how you should be talking to your team, uh, giving them autonomy, and. I know there are some people out there who will say, "Oh, the Jocko's message basically is this, whatever you do is all is your fault." Hmm. Uh, but it is it is true, but but his his messages goes a little deeper and he he like kind of like outlines the whole strategy uh and obviously his lessons come from being a former Navy SEAL and fighting in uh mm-hmm. in Iraq mm-hmm. uh or uh, yeah, I think it was Iraq, but I think you would really like that. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely uh it read i think you said it i believe or maybe not but you you uh, i think you were you you read it for sure once you slow down getting back up to speed takes time and effort and i read about i read it and i'm like man this is so true like uh i just i started running about a year ago and when i'm on the run like the most terrifying part is seeing traffic light uh, especially after like you do half the distance because i know like uh, like i have to when i stopped i have to feel so much pain after For it sure. feels like i'm i'm like dragging some kind of a, a rock behind me after that and and there's some of that that translates into work and into professional life how do you deal with that or what is maybe a better approach to to to, to reframe that
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think you're referring to. Um, I wrote a blog on momentum yeah. uh, in that same time frame. And yeah, lactic acid is a real thing, right? Whether it's running, like I play Ultimate Frisbee, and I know that oftentimes I'll perform better if I, you know, if we have a, a short team that week and I get to play the whole game, I'll often mm-hmm. perform better than if I'm taking shifts and sitting off. And uh, momentum is a real thing when it comes to your career and life in general. Um, I feel like. You know, I've definitely experienced that where, you know, maybe you have a bad boss and um, they're trying to stifle you for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people will get stuck in in that role. They'll get stuck um, because they think that they need to stick it out or whatever. My advice to those people, for the most part, would be just move on, right? Just sidestep that person. Yeah. Um, because while that person seems like you know or that role or that company or whatever seems like the whole world at that time. Um, the reality for anyone who's changed jobs is that the second that you leave that place um, it becomes a distant memory like you have no commitment to that company, that person anymore um, and you can oftentimes find a you know a place and an environment to, to flourish uh, instead of just being stifled
0: taking vacation potentially just uh going away and then just looking at it just
1: quit (laughs) okay (laughs) don't don't delay it yeah don't take vacation i mean oftentimes if you remove yourself from the situation um you know you you can get perspective and things like that and i'm sure that there are situations where you can come to mutual understanding or mutual agreements with people that you um disagree with for sure but oftentimes like poisonous people are just going to be poisonous people and you need to remove yourself from that situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, making the decision fast. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about consistency, uh, the importance of consistency. I think there was this article written by somebody that, that you also liked. i just read it uh, where it says that, you know, no matter how talented people are, no matter how, how many hours people work, no matter, no matter how much intensity somebody puts in, uh, you could still beat them or you could still be more successful if you actually do something more like really consistently, consistently consistently. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are consistent are extremely, extremely rare. Right. Why is that? And how could people be more consistent?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. If I had the answer to that, um, I'm sure I'd write a book on it, but um, I think that it depends who you're, talking about I think that people are generally pretty short-termist I think that people like instant gratification um, generally like as do you and I Um, and so I think that we are pretty hardwired to you know want results quite quickly and thus uh, you know consistency is kind of the opposite of that Um, just kind of trusting that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you just kind of like continue to consistently chip away. Um, yeah. So I I would say that, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult to pinpoint why people are, or why Mm -hmm. there aren't a ton Mm -hmm. of people that are super consistent, but I saw a like pretty good meme on LinkedIn the other day, which Mm -hmm. apparently people are putting memes on LinkedIn now, but, um, (laughs) it was of a turtle on a skateboard, like, surpassing all of these rabbits that are running and you know it was kind of a play on the old adage of like the tortoise and the hare but the um, the caption was actually that like nobody cares how hard you worked like nobody cares about the effort that you put in people only care about the outcome and I think that's super true Um, so along the same lines of, of being consistent you've got these people who burn themselves out who like you know, come in super hot and like into a new job, for instance, right? And they spend the first three months of their new job trying to impress everybody so that they can pass their probation because they're concerned that, um, you know, that they won't meet the standard of whatever this new job is or of the organization. And um, I think that the reality is that those people will underperform their more consistent counterparts um, over and over again because, you know, we don't live in a short-termist world, even though we, you know, try to achieve goals quarter over quarter. Um, if if we all, like, act in that kind of, like, quick burnout mentality, um, there's no, like, long-term strategy involved in that, right? And you see that with companies that burn out because they fill their their desks with people who, you know, who kind of mirror that mentality.
0: Yeah, I mean, people definitely, uh, I find their not that many people also who's thinking like 10 year term or like 15 year term. Yeah. Everybody's like, like Gary V obviously with, uh, in his, with his usual, st- in his usual style, he says, Oh, you, you put in half an hour work, you expect results already. Right, yeah. <laughs> what about how people could maybe, uh, be more consistent or what some of the steps they should take or maybe questions they should ask themselves, like, uh, to, to put them on the path or not. of that consistency yeah um
1: i mean i'll say two things like one is not to harp on it but to like go back to having like a set of values that dictate your life right if you have like underlying values that direct the decisions that you make every day those decisions are going to be more consistent right so if I woke up every day and asked myself like am I going to go to the gym today I would never get to the gym and that's what happens to most people they don't make an overarching decision that they're going to commit to their health they're going to commit to wellness um, and then they're left making these decisions over and over again rather than committing to like a larger decision and then taking the actions day in and day out Um, so that's one thing that I would say and the other is like about choosing to be a certain way right so um my mom's partner he always says that like he was unhappy until he chose to be happy and so he wakes up every day and he chooses to be happy he wakes up every day and he you know makes a conscious effort to be like consistently the same way every day and so um obviously there's like outliers to this as there is for everything but like choosing to kind of um commit to the kind of person you want to be and the behaviors you want to model and things like that
0: yeah absolutely and i mean you mentioned decision tony robbins talks a lot about that where you when you make a decision you actually cut off any possibility of not following through and and Mm -hmm. you're not and the goal is not to think because when you actually start thinking then as you said it's like the game over yeah do you have any rituals in the morning and evening things you do to actually keep yourself on track like routines because i I feel i have a feeling you do definitely yeah that's i think anybody that knows me would say that
1: i'm uh you know pretty tied to to my rituals and to my schedule um (laughs) and for good or for bad um yeah so i mean i get up at approximately the same time every day and it's not you know, back to this idea of like um, hustling for the sake of hustling. I don't get up at four a.m. and go for a run and then meditate for two hours. And then um, I, I get up like you know somewhere around six thirty every morning, and I do the same things. I eat mm. the same food every day, um, pretty consistently for breakfast and lunch and dinner. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I uh, I go to the gym at lunch because I find that um, you know it's a time I can block in my calendar. and Most people aren't aren't creating meetings at lunch Um, it extends my work day so it allows me to be accessible to my team for longer periods so I've got some team members who come in earlier in the morning some that leave later Mm -hmm. at night and so you know being more accessible to them Um, and I go home and you know read the same books every night watch the same tv shows I've been watching reruns of The Office for the last 12 years. It's a great one. Uh, <laughs> you know, for the last 12 years. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, once again, yeah, I do feel like consistency is key. Mm. Do you
0: like journal or meditate, anything like that?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say like not so much in the traditional sense. i So, from a meditation perspective, I don't journal. Um, mm. I'll spend like periods of time where I write out kind of like memoirs almost. So, like I'll sit down and I'll write out like a period of time. Um, so, you know, for instance, like after I got married, um, I sat down and wrote out like a three month period of everything that happened from like leading up to the wedding, the wedding itself, yeah. honeymoon. Um, and so I like to kind of chronicle my life that way. Um, I would love to get more dedicated to journaling for sure, particularly, um, you know, when it comes to like gratitude journaling i think that that's like super powerful and i know a lot of people who have seen really positive outcomes from that because we live in a society where you can like constantly want for more right when you're like checking social media and things like that you constantly feel like you're behind like you're not keeping up with the joneses and so you know kind of like shifting that lens to focus on gratitude is, is super powerful would love to do that and then from Mm. a meditation perspective i don't do seating like seated meditation i don't sit down for any period of time and meditate but uh rather just try to like practice mindfulness um in other parts of my life so be it like walking meditation or guided meditation when i'm sitting on the ttc
0: and things like that Yeah. yeah You uh, wrote a post, uh, blog post, as well on about cl- color blindness, and uh, and this has been uh, there your, it is. Y- yeah, <laughs> 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 I, wanted to wanted to ask you. I was just curious. Uh, what, what's what's it like when um, when you are color blind? Like, does it? How does it work <laughs> uh, in sure. you know, like uh, in like normal life? And yeah. um, how did you? Um, what did you have to do? Any things you had to change mm-hmm. or not?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's like anything else in that I don't know any different. So I don't like I don't suffer based on it. I also have like a pretty, um, I would say like moderate form of colorblindness. So I it's not extreme. I know, you know, people in my family, it's a hereditary condition. So there's lots of people in my family who were colorblind or are colorblind and um, I know that it can get worse with age and you know my like great grandfather was practically singing in grayscale by the time he died for instance um Mm -hmm. And uh, so I mean, it doesn't really hinder much. I would say I apparently can't be a fighter pilot, which doesn't really disturb me too much. Um, hey, you don't. You don't
0: seem like yeah. Like a, like a, I'm
1: not the fighter pilot yeah. type, so that's cool. I would like to fly a plane someday, um, which I think I'll still be able to. I don't think my color blindness is so well, severe that
0: well, they will Well, to be to be honest, I think they'll. they'll, they'll I, I, they probably have some sort of glasses that fix that. I, I would be. They do. I, yeah. I would, I would be surprised they don't. Like it's called.
1: Well, I mean, the brand name for them is Enchroma. Um, and my wife actually got me a pair for my birthday
0: two or three years ago
1: now. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, they didn't work for me. They work for like 70% of people uh, with various forms of colorblindness. Mine, they didn't work for me, um, uh, <laughs> which is a funny story because it took a lot of build up for me to actually put them on because uh, mm. I thought they were going to change
0: my life. Mm. And <laughs> they certainly yeah. did not. So. Well, you know, I, I mean, like the te- technology technology, Progresses so fast that that uh it would be hard not to imagine that they actually they 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 definitely figure that part out for sure yeah um what um where's everybody can find you online before i ask my last question
1: yeah for sure you can find me on linkedin you can find me on twitter adam jlacombe um i mean if you want you can find me on instagram not super active (laughs) uh at gallows humor um
0: yeah. I will uh, link all of those in cool. show notes so you guys can uh, go check it out uh, uh, just in this episode. what Anna, what impact would you like to have uh, on the world with the work you're doing and with things you're doing?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that... You know, a lot of my values align with those of, of CrowdRiff, which is why I'm so happy here. Um, and the the mission of CrowdRiff is really to make, um, you know, travel better for people and for the planet. Um, and so I, I definitely mirror that. I would love to make travel more accessible to people. I think that travel has been super important in my life. Um, <clears throat> it's really enabled me to get perspective on, you know, how fortunate and privileged we are in Canada and North America and, um, And I think that, uh, you know, the planet, I think we're in for a pretty tough fight, um, given the the current state of climate change. So I would love to be able to continue to have an impact uh, here at CrowdRiff and then beyond in in my career uh, to support, you know, um,
0: the the climate change agenda. Adam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and uh, sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thank you, sir okay I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did and if you did you know what to do it's you just go on Apple podcasts and please leave a six-star review that would be very much appreciated there's a link uh, right in below the episode or you can drop me a message on LinkedIn just to let me know how you liked it what were what was your favorite part and what would you like to hear in the future or maybe some guests that I should have on